Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm curious in this room who the truth tellers are. So just by a show of hands, go ahead, raise your hand if you've never ever told any lie before. Who are the truth tellers here? Sorry, I accidentally raised my hand. <laughs> no, okay, so nobody? That's, that's good, because I, I needed to put my hand down and recognize the reality that I'm in good company here. What is it with us? What is it with us? We can't seem to find anyone who will give us a straight answer. We can't seem to get just the undistorted truth. And oftentimes our lips contribute to the problem as well. It seems everything, everyone has some sort of spin, some sort of twist, some sort of ulterior agenda. And most of us are fed up with it. And yet, when we're honest with ourselves and we look at our own heart and put our own hand down, we recognize our contributions to the untold truths in this world. We can't stop deceiving one another, and we can't stop even deceiving ourselves. We're studying the book of Genesis as a church this summer. Some of you are here for the first time and haven't been with us on this journey. We started it last summer and picked up a couple of weeks ago. And so we're just going section by section, working our way through this narrative. Uh, we're trying to give you a little bit of the scripture ahead of time. And so uh, maybe some of you looked at Genesis chapter 29 and 30 in advance of today. And maybe you thought to yourselves, what in the world is Pastor Aaron going to preach on in this section <laughs> And I read it and I thought, what in the world am I going to preach on in this section? But here's the deal. Here's where we're at. Pastor Kevin uh, preached his first sermon here uh, last Sunday and did a fantastic job. And he told that story in Genesis chapter 28, how Jacob had to flee because he had deceived his own father at his mother's direction. And his brother Esau was so mad at him that he wanted to kill him because Jacob had deceived his father and stolen the birthright. And so Jacob had fled away at his mother's direction to go visit and stay with her brother Laban up north. And so that's where our story picks up today in Genesis 29. Jacob has gone north and he gets to this place in the heat of the day and he gets to a well. And there at the well he meets some people and eventually he lays eyes on a beautiful woman with sharp eyes that catches attention. And for Jacob, it is love at first sight when he sees this beautiful woman, as the scriptures say, named Rachel. Rachel is the daughter of his uncle Laban. Yes, that makes them first cousins. We're just going to leave that as the way that things were in the book of Genesis at this point. But he sees her and announces to her 
that, that he's made it, that, that, that he has come. And Rachel is so excited that she runs off to get Laban, her dad, and Laban comes, and he's so excited to meet Jacob. And he says, Jacob, come and stay with us. Sounds like a wonderful welcome. Jacob is welcomed into Laban's home and into his uh, property and into his farmland, and Jacob works for him for a month. And at the end of that month, Laban says to Jacob, Jacob, you've been working so hard here. What can I pay you for working for me? And Jacob has not forgotten his love at first sight for Laban's daughter, Rachel. And so he says to his uncle, what you can give me for my wage is Rachel as a wife. Laban agrees. Laban says, I would be glad to do that. But first, you got to work for me for seven years. Can you imagine it? Some of you got married after seven months of dating. Imagine having to work for seven years. But the scriptures don't say that Jacob batted an eye. He just agreed and he got to work. And he says in the scriptures, it seemed to him but just a few days because of the depth of love that he had for this woman. But what Jacob does not know, what Jacob does not know is that deceit runs in his family. <laughs> See, Jacob, Jacob's name has come to be famously known as being called the deceiver. That's what people call him because his brother Esau long ago said, his name ought to mean deceiver. And so Jacob, this is the reputation he's got as the deceiver. But what he doesn't know is that deception lies in his bloodline. Here's what happens. Laban, Laban has an older daughter as well who is unmarried. Her name is Leah. The scriptures say that her eyes are weak. It could mean that they're just not as attractive as Rachel's. We know as the story plays out that Jacob loves Rachel more than he does Leah, but Leah is the older daughter, and it was uncustomary to marry off your younger daughter before the older daughter. So, Laban, Laban, throws a big wedding party saying it's for Jacob and for Rachel. They have the big party. Jacob goes into the tent. When it's dark, after the big party, Laban gets not Rachel, but Leah, and sends her in to spend the night with Jacob. <laughs> Jacob wakes up in the morning and is surprised, scared, worried, I don't know, probably a variety of things. He goes to Laban, he says, Laban, what's the deal? And Laban says, well, it's uncustomary for me to marry off the younger daughter first, and so by policy, I had to give you the older daughter first, and so here's what you need to do if you want to marry my younger daughter. Spend a good week you know, solidifying the marriage with Leah, then you can marry Rachel. But in exchange for marrying Rachel, I'm going to need seven more years of work. <laughs> Jacob, the famous deceiver, gets deceived. <laughs> he gets what's coming to him. All right, we're going to pause right here. There's, there's just too much to cover in all of Genesis 29 and 30. So my encouragement to you, uh, as we're going through this narrative, I pray that at home you're reading through this story as well. Let me just give you a fast recap. After this whole marrying thing, we get into drama-filled genealogy because we learn about the birth of Jacob's first 11 sons and his daughter. 
who are born to him by four different women, Leah, Leah's servant, Rachel, Rachel's servant. All right, so he gets all these sons and a daughter, and then finally at the end of chapter 30, there is more deception, a dueling deceit again between Jacob the deceiver and his uncle the deceiver as they battle it out and try to trick each other to see who can become more prosperous as they part ways. All right, but you can read about that on your own. Today, I'm calling this sermon Dueling Deceits. Dueling Deceits. We live in a world of dueling deceits. I live in this world. You do. None of you raised your hand and said you are truth tellers. So, you recognize your contributions to the deception that is present in this world. We deceive one another often. And yet there's a spiritual realm of deception going on all the time that I know plagues me and you. There is an evil one named Satan who is a master of deception, more so than Jacob or Laban combined. And what Satan loves to do is to mess with our heads and our hearts, trying to convince us that we're not valuable, that we don't matter that we're alone in this world, that we're not good enough. That's Satan's work in this world. He never often comes right out and says those things, but through world events and situations in which we find ourselves, sometimes those things just plague us, and sometimes we hear those words spoken to us from other people. And those ideas from Satan of deception wield a weapon against us, trying to convince us that we are not valuable children of God, baptized into His name, loved with an everlasting love. See, and then in return of Satan's deceptions, I find myself trying to even deceive God. If I could, I try. I tell God, you know what, God? If you could just close your eyes for a moment and turn your back, I'm going to do what seems more fun and feels good than what you would want me to do. And so just look away for a moment. I try to deceive God, try to pretend like I've got more control than I know that I do. And then I come to church and God speaks clearly to me through his word, forgiving me of my sins. And I say, I want to I live a better life, Lord, help me. And then Satan rears his ugly head, trying to get me to think that what God is saying mm, is only partially true and there must be a loophole in his law and in his policy somewhere that I could get away with the thing that I want to really do. And so then I try to deceive myself that what God said to me is not true, all while deceiving God and being deceived by Satan and trying to deceive myself. And it is just a big mess of dueling deceits. And to top it all off, we live in this world of deceit. Where we've got one side saying that they are good and that they are evil. And you might find yourself aligning with this side saying, but I thought this side is good. They're evil. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff in the middle saying they're all terrible and evil. And you're mixed up in all of it. 
And then I find myself being deceived by Satan, trying to deceive God, trying to deceive myself in the middle, not knowing at the end of the day if I can trust anybody because I don't even know if I can trust myself. And I feel wearied and alone and anxious and frustrated. I know I'm not alone because I talk to a lot of you. And maybe you haven't put it in those kinds of words, but you've told me about your experiences. The Apostle Paul today in Romans chapter 7 says famously, and I think he puts into words as much as you can put into human words, and I'm trying to, but it's all jumbled up and not maybe making perfect sense. And Paul's words in Romans 7 may not seem to make perfect sense, but when you slow down, they actually do because Paul says this, I don't understand my own actions. (laughs) For I don't do what I want to do but I do the very thing I hate. I know that nothing good dwells in me that's in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And yes, Paul, you are right. We are broken, sinful, afflicted, deceived deceivers. If it sounds confusing, Paul's words, what he's really saying is, why can't I just do good? Why do I keep doing all this junk? I don't want to, but I can't get it straight. And if I can't even trust myself to do what is right, who can I trust? And the answer to that question, who can I trust, is as simple as the answers come when you're in the church. (laughs) It's a good old-fashioned Sunday school answer. And the Apostle Paul gives it to us as well because Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is the one who is truth. Just, that maybe sounds too simple, but think about that. As we talk about all this deception, Jesus is truth, the Bible says. He is the only one who has no deceit in him. There was a prophetic scripture written hundreds of years before Jesus' birth in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, that foretold what the promised Messiah would be like. And in Isaiah 53, it said, In him there would be no deceit in his mouth. There's no deceit in Jesus. Jesus will never deceive you. While we're doing all of our trickery, thinking that we're fooling one another, fooling ourselves, fooling God. In him there is no deceit. He is truth. So what do we do in this world then? How do we make sense of it? I would tell you, trust his promises. Trust his promises. Trust his word. If he says his word is true, and you read his word, you will see that his word is good for you. So trust his word, trust his promises. 
because what you will find when you trust his promises, you will actually despise your deceit and despise the deception of the world and you will want to live a different way. But it's not until you recognize how faithful he is to you and how gracious and forgiving he is to you that you will want to live a better way. Jesus' word is true. His promises are true. Did you hear his word that was read today in the book of Matthew? Come to me, you who are weary and heavy burdened. I will give you rest. Do it. Come to him. Find rest for your souls. You are forgiven, set free. You are valuable. You have purpose. You are children of God. Loved with a never stopping, never giving up kind of love. That's for you now, today, and forever. Go in his peace. Amen.